You're recording, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm your or ghost. Or is he? Whoa! It's electromagnetic, what's it? EVP? Electro- <laughs> electronic voice phenomena? So this is a Halloween episode, but because it's possibly <laughs> all psychological, you can use this episode and listen to it any time of year. I'm so sure none of news. us are real. Yeah. But, but I, I like the EVP thing. Can we all like do an entire episode as like Zach Bagans and like the Ghost Adventures crew, we're like, dude, oh, totally. oh my god, dude, did you hear that, dude? Look at my arm, dude. Look, look at my hair, dude, dude. We should totally do that. That's my impression. That'd be a great episode. Ooh, <laughs> we're week two of our Halloween extravaganza. <laughs> but uh, yeah, how are you guys doing? Are you having plans for Halloween? Oh, you know, um, quarantining. Yeah. I'll say this, Penny, uh, my daughter, my older daughter, who is three and a half, has picked out costumes for the family. Judy is going to be Owlette, which is one of the PJ masks. I am going to be Spider-Man. My other daughter, Prim, is going to be Olaf. And Penny is going to be Spider-Gwen from Into the Spider-Verse. So I don't know how she came to that conclusion. but <laughs> So I think Tyler should be Kung Fu Panda. And the reason why I bring that up is because... We're not talking about that movie. We're talking about <laughs> The Shining. What a segue. Yeah. I actually right? already have a costume. The Shining. One of Stanley Kubrick. Well, actually, my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie. I think one of the best horror movies of all time. Um, I fucking love this movie, by the way. And every time I see this movie, I get something new out of it. Um, but before I move further, I want to segue to Josiah. So hit us with the production information, Josiah. So we are talking about The Shining, released, released, it was released, movies get released, released in those days. It was released June 13th, 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, as uh, Paul said, novel by Stephen King, who did nothing before or since, as did Kubrick. Neither of these guys I've ever heard from them again. But it was uh, written with Kubrick and Diane Johnson, and of course, well, I'm sure we'll talk a bit, St- uh, Stephen King hated Hated, hated, hated. Well, I, I, thought he lo- I thought he loved version. it so much. He was like, I need to remake this because it's so good. <laughs> and I'll I, say this. I, I'm a huge fan of the book. I love the book. I think it's my favorite Stephen King book, and it's amazing. And I still appreciate the movie. I don't love the movie because of the nature of the movie. It's not, I don't think it's – I would say it's not a movie that wants you to love it, even though you can appreciate it as a masterpiece. But I understand reading the novel why Stephen King would hate it. But we'll sort of get into that as it comes up as we go. It stars Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance, Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance, and Danny Lloyd as Danny Torrance, who the only other thing he did was he was also a young G. Gordon Liddy. And G. Gordon, he, of all oh, things, wow. that was like his only other acting credit. Yeah. yeah, the Watergate guy, G. Gordon Liddy, who like wouldn't testify and like turn on uh, Nixon or whatever. Yeah, so <laughs> an interesting one. So it was the winner, or nominee rather, of two Razzies, Worst oh, wow. Director and Worst Actress for Shelley Duvall. Believe that or not, in 1980, 81, whatever it was. 
It, but it is also in the National Film Registry. So I would be interested to find out how many other films were nominated for Razzies that ended up in the National Film Registry. So it had a budget of $19 million and opened at like 622000 The gross I found was like $45 million, but I'm not sure if that's like a cumulative thing throughout the years because it did not do well initially. It was not appreciated. It was not critically appreciated. Uh, people didn't get it. It was one of those movies that kind of grew on VHS, especially at the time. And that's how I first encountered it. And VHS, all of her video in the mid-90s. I'm like, oh, The Shining, based on that Stephen King book I hadn't yet read at the time. And I was not ready for it when I first saw it. One other person I want to mention behind the scenes is Leon Vitale. If you guys haven't seen the documentary Film Worker, watch it. It's currently available on Netflix. And he's basically this guy who was in Barry Lyndon. And he was an actor, a very successful one throughout like the late 60s and 70s. And then he wanted to like, being this, he saw Clockwork Orange and his life was changed. And he wanted desperately to work with Stanley. He got to work with him as an actor. And then essentially gave up his life to be kind of sort of Stanley's assistant, kind of his gatekeeper, did all these things for him. And he was actually the one who coached the young Danny in this film and as an acting coach. And if you ever oh, see the behind the scenes, like if Danny is acting and there's no one on camera, he's talking to Leon. Most of the time, he's not actually acting with Jack Nicholson or something. Thing. he's actually interacting with leon so if you don't That's see crazy. the other actor it's leon I, yeah so I, watch, i'm sure they good and film be, worker. there's that documentary it was like room 237 right is that the documentary that's like the full length one about this film yeah this is different. this is just about uh it's called film worker it's just about mm. leon and his experience with stanley 237 is all about the weird crazy conspiracies oh yeah that's, that people all cons- with oh, that's what that is yeah yeah all yeah. conspiracy theories oh, i want to watch uh, that one. i want to watch that it's 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 interesting but you can find you know a million more of them on youtube too that's i mean true. they're they're interesting there's 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 some i feel like there's some truth to all that stuff yep. so can i say that she that he, i don't know if you know this but danny does cameo in dr sleep yeah, yes. yeah, he's the guy. I knew it was like, pointed out to me. <laughs> yeah, he's the guy in the stands, and he's like, yeah. "Oh, that kid, he's going to go in the majors." He always hits the ball, and it's funny <laughs> his face looks the same. It's like four years later, he has the it's same so face. Weird. His credits are he... Shining, G. Gordon Liddy as a kid, and then Doctor Sleep. <laughs> yep, and then and his goatee is on point too. I have to give him credit for his goatee. He's a he's yeah. a good goatee. Admired goatee. Yeah, it's a good goatee. And Leon is also the one who, like, he would ca- – he actually basically cast Danny as well. So in the documentary, there's a moment where, like, he's sitting down and he, like, gee, I really like your suit. That's what – like, after a long stretch of not talking, and that just opened it up and, like, Leon knew that they had Danny at that point. And so it's just kind of cool to see how he was working on, like, sort of – he uh, – I think Stanley Kubrick sent Leon a copy of The Shining, the book, and that's kind of how he brought him into the process that would go – until Stanley passed, he was still working with him with things. Um, so that is uh, just an interesting side note. There's a lot more. Maybe it'll come up as we talk, but it's just kind of interesting. Those, you know, film worker. It, it's the story of a guy who you never know, you never hear about, you never see who laid, you know, is, you know that sort of the digging the ditches for a guy like a genius like Stanley Kubrick. And kind of that documentary is about how you can get caught up in the light of that genius. So that's a good. It's definitely, definitely worth watching, especially if you're a Kubrick fan. And if you're just not and you're just interested in film, watch it. Yeah, no, it looks awesome. So the funny thing about this movie is that before I even saw it as a little kid, it had this mystique around it. And I would see hints of it as I was growing up. And I would ask my parents, like, hey, what is this movie The Shining? Like, I want to see it so bad. And my parents would say, no, 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 it's too disturbing. You can't watch it. Like, it's not for you. You're only eight years old. Like, it, it you know. We can't do that. Yeah. We can't watch it. It's just too much. 
And so I, mean, I first granted, my, my parents would be scared to, from, to show me Jack Nicholson too when I was eight years old. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I so I remember watching the Trias of Horror, the Shinning, and I was like, "What is the source material? This is amazing." I saw um, season six, episode six. Of oh, the is Simpsons, that what it is? Yeah, yes. I saw that. Um, I in fact saw the the the, the best Treehouse of Horror, movie. the best Treehouse. Yeah, it's one of the best ones by far. Um, and then the thing that really piqued my interest was I saw Twister, and there's a scene with the drive. They're at the drive-in theater. And they have the, um, you know, here's Johnny scene playing in the drive-in theater. And a twi- like a tornado comes and like takes the drive-in away. And as I was watching Twister, I was like, this movie's forgettable. And the only thing I remember that movie is that little drive-in scene because of The Shining. And so I flew with my parents. I'm like, I need to see this movie. So I finally saw the movie when I was like 16 and I was just blown away. I love this movie so much. And it is one of my favorite movies of all time. And a lot of that has to do with how effective the horror is, because what they do here is they take all the horror conventions and really subvert them. And they really emphasize the mundane so that the supernatural really shines <laughs> later on in the movie. You know, um, get out. Just kidding. <laughs> like in the beginning, there's like an interview with Jack, you know, and and there's, uh, you know, they have like a doctor's appointment because. Uh, Danny has, you know, he has a fit and, and, you know, with red rum. And uh, so it's like all this mundane stuff that goes on through their day. And right, even before they arrive at the hotel, and it really juxtaposes like what happens later on as like the, the tension wraps up. So what I want to ask you guys is, how did you find this film? Like, what was your journey getting to this film? And what were your initial impressions when you first saw it? Well, uh- so before we recorded, I was telling you, like, this is the first time me seeing this film since middle school. And I thought I remember this film really, really well. And um, the only thing that I have really watched that would have anything to do with this is the South Park episode where Randy Marsh gets the, the blockbuster, which is actually one of my favorite episodes as well. And it's insane how good of a job they recap The Shining in South Park um it, it's it's phenomenal i, I want to give them credit for that I, I absolutely love that episode and it's so good now that i've watched it because i watched i just watched all of south park through in the quarantine so it was really fresh in my mind um i like this film a lot i love stanley kubrick i think this movie is so good there are things about it that are weird but then it's nothing bad at all like i think it's so weird that shelly duvall got a razzie award i don't think she was i think her reactions are phenomenal in this movie but there are weird things that she does that is really terrible like her running is really weird um it's just a really weird way of running that did not look practical and it didn't look like she was and i i think a factor is there is you probably have 40 takes of her doing that Mm. there's rumors that some of the takes where she would run up the stairs like when you know that she would have to do it 40 100 times like because that's how kubrick did films yeah well he, he treated was particularly her particularly like yeah. brutal to her he disliked her he he, he actually there's a okay. i saw an interview with the screenwriter Dian, diane johnson and she talked about how he actually took lines away from her too and 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 she, and she kind of framed it as less about like the film and all that and that kubrick took the lines away because he disliked her that's the way it seemed in the interview oh, as opposed yeah. to like it's better for the story it's well so, documented. So I think that, you know, like her physical performance, she was it part of why it works is she was worn down. <laughs> yeah, it's actually well 
well documented how uh, how much like Kubrick uh, really tormented her. Yeah, it's and, not. Uh, it's if you not see good. the documentary, it's uh, done by Vivian Kubrick, um, uh, Stanley's daughter of of the making of The Shining. There's a lot of parts where like Shelley Duvall's like laying down on the ground, like exhausted, or she's like her hair is falling out, or she's like having a panic attack, and like every time Kubrick enters, like every time she enters the room with Kubrick, like Kubrick just like like frowns, like he like he's you see a noticeable expression on his face. I heard like a lot of stories, like he would not talk to her directly. He would like wouldn't even look. He wouldn't even look at her. Like I heard like all these stories like throughout the years and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Like and even like in I phone class. I recommend that documentary if you want to see it because I, there's I, a lot of interactions like that. I just brought it up and just from like the like the 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 preview on google because google now does a preview thing with videos i just see like like jack nicholson like right like like running in place getting ready for a scene and stuff and it lo- it looks intense it looks awesome like it looks, it's the it looks raw. how he gets himself amped up it's it's pretty cool how you if you watch the documentary because basically in real time he's like just so casual it's amazing how he's just it it, it it how good he is as an actor that he is just he can get there really quickly and and yeah. he was kind of the opposite, like on set. Like he would like he was exhausting, but he would just like lay down on the floor and sleep. Because <laughs> like because like and part of it is like at that point, like he, he's like you know he's that kind of guy. It's like sure you're a genius, Kubrick, you're a powerful man, but you don't have power over me. <laughs> I'm just acting in your movie. I'm just gonna lay down and I'll get up and I'll do it. <laughs> it's, it's funny when this movie first came out, a lot of the criticism was on Jack Nicholson. They thought his performance was too cartoonish, actually. Um, do you believe that or or that was actually what I was gonna get at? So like I think there were some weird things about this movie that I didn't remember, and I actually wanted to say like it's weird. He he starts off like really really nice and like you know like a family man, like you know like, like kind of like that that funny YouTube video where they reshot the movie to make it look like a a, uh, a romantic comedy. Like it kind of started off with him being like a loving husband, and then he just turns into a complete asshole, and then it turns down a little bit back to where he's like an okay husband again and then it just like ramps up real quick but like that dip i don't remember the dip and it kind of felt weird because when she first talks to him in the office he's such an asshole to her and then he gets like relatively nice again and then he goes into the bar for the first time and and meets lloyd and then she comes in and uh or at least and then the next scene after that is when he's an asshole to her again it was just this really weird dip that I don't remember, and that it kind of took me out of it a little bit. It's funny that you bring that up, because I feel that's actually one of the only flaws in this movie, is, well, because there's two two of those scenes, the two typewriting scenes. The first one, uh, Wendy comes over with a sandwich, and she's like, hey, Jack, here's a sandwich, and he's like, I'm fucking typing here. Leave me the fuck alone. Get out of here. Yeah, if I'm ty- if you hear me typing encounter, in here, right? that means don't get the, don't come the fuck in, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then, so the second encounter is, He's screaming, and Wendy runs over to him, and she's like, hey, Jack, are you okay? And he's like, oh, my God, I dreamt that I murdered all of you. And he's, like, in distress, and she's there for him. And then Danny walks in a frame, and she's like, did you do this? Like, did you do this, Danny? Like, he's, she's blaming him for Danny's, like, the, um, the bruise on his throat. And so I think those scenes should have been switched. First scenes should have been that one where he's in distress, you know, they could like, oh my god, it killed my family because he's still vulnerable. And then later on, it should have been the one where he like freaks out and he's like, get the fuck out of here. And then when she walks away, she bumps into Danny. And so she connects the fact that, hey, Danny, I mean, uh, Jack is a threat. He just treated me like this. I'm a, he probably 
hurt our son. So it would have fit a lot better if they switched those scenes. So for me, that's the only flaw in this movie is that that editing. You can't flip those scenes, though, because then what happens is that's where everything then begins with the supernatural within it. That's where she has to confront him because so what it is, is there's there's the two arguments. If it's if it's real, that's when the the supernatural becomes manifest itself physically and, and assaults Danny. Right. Sure. The characterization, you could argue, should be altered, but I don't you can't move the other scene around. Right. Because uh, oh, so then it because either, it either could, because it either, could be Jack the whole time or. It yeah, could, okay. exactly. Oh, that makes sense. No, it, I mean, or it's thing, either though. or Jack did the act, or Jack physically assaulted Danny. That's the other argument, and he's in this dream state where he is either manipulating, using it to manipulate, which is very, very likely. Yeah, he's either okay. using it to manipulate, or he doesn't know that he did it. Those are the other arguments. You can't move the scene though, because then that's really where the action of the film really begins. Because then he goes and investigates, and then once he investigates in. He lies about because he, you know, he sees the woman in the room and he lies because he essentially is cheating on her. And he, so he, that's where the turn fully happens. So you could argue though that that's the point where he possibly could have come back to his family. You know, he's he's being pushed, 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 coming. And then he starts to come back and then boom, it's gone. Yeah. He I, can't come back. That actually makes sense because it's also before the scene where he has the nightmare and he wakes up. It's. Uh, the scene, um, you know, before that is when Danny goes into the room to get his, you know, his fire truck and he sees his dad is just is up and he's not even he's not sleeping. And then he has the really awkward scene. So like, that actually means so basically he, quote unquote, fell asleep before the first typewriting scene and he is asleep the entire time until she wakes him up from that nightmare. Uh, is that what you're saying? Is that that's now how I see it because with your with your explanation, some some before. Before the scene of when he's yelling at Shelley Duvall, he has to be asleep at that point. Well, I, I just think of it that first scene is kind of uncharacteristic of his, of him at the point because he's not he's not yet at the full third act Jack Torrance, but he's acting like that. He's acting like he's about to grab an axe, you know, and attack her. And then the second scene, he's vulnerable. He's more vulnerable like he was earlier in the movie. So I just think it's like kind of uncharacteristic for that. For him to, when but it, I think it, I think it also though it shows you that oh he is he's a threat you you have to actually show that he's a threat because you're hinting at it hinting at it hinting at it and I think the way I kind of view a lot of the film is that I think Jack loves Danny and appreciates Danny but he hates Wendy and he resents her to no end so I think he like we talked about Kubrick <laughs> I think part of how he behaves is he manipulates her. To, to control her. So he either manipulates her through anger and aggression or through, I need you to comfort me now. I'm the child now. You need to take care of me. I think yeah, that's what's going on. For his failures, basically. So this can be something before they even move there, then. It could just be a prolonging I mean, thing. I, I, the thing. The thing with Jack's performance is that it's, a, it's so nuanced that I feel like he's kind of at a boiling point even before they get to the hotel. Like, he's just kind of really frustrated and at, at the end of his rope. So in the beginning of the movie, he's like a normal guy, but he's trying to keep it together. He's like trying to keep his shit together. He's like sober for five months and he's trying to like keep everything together. And this is his last chance. And so, I mean, I see it that way that there's like, he is a looming threat and you kind of see it through performance, but 
Like he you becomes an asshole see- for a second, and then he midnights in Paris and becomes a way worse person. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I think because I, I like I've heard Stanley Cooper talk about it. Like he said, part of it is the nature of the Jack uh, Torrance character is that he's essentially ready because of who he is. He's ready to do the bidding of the hotel. You know, he's ready to go there. It just he needs that nudge. And since we're gonna spoil the movie eventually, it's also the reincarnating thing. It's like you can't really escape what is inevitable at this point because the reincarnating yeah. and the, because, the re- you know, and it's, and it's, yeah, like, well, you know, we can talk about that. I think that this movie is so, 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 so good. I don't think it's the best Stanley Kubrick movie, in my opinion. I still think that that goes with 2001 A Space Odyssey, in my opinion, but I really, really do love this film. I really do. Um, I, I think Jack Nicholson's, uh, is, is so good. I think Danny is even phenomenal. Like the kid is, he's creepy and scary. Unlike any other, kid in horror movies where i think they in this movie instead of him being like the one who brings all the evil it's kind of like it's the exact opposite where he's kind of like you know he's the one that's actually saving the day talking to dick uh halloway and uh you know halloran halloran sorry i had it up and halloran yeah i have have so many i have so many shining tabs and uh with dick halloran and so um like, it's weird seeing the kid be kind of creepy, but then also, like, he's the good, he's, he's like, the the savior of this movie, kind of, um, basically getting them to, getting his mom to safety. I, I think of it this way, like, Danny is the conduit for the audience, you know, and, and I, he feels, to me, Danny feels like a real boy. He doesn't feel like an actor kid, you know, or a kid that's pretending to be, you know, a kid. He feels like a real kid, and I, I just, he has... He has this authenticity about him that the same way, um, you know, Charlie Bucket did and, and Willy Wonka. Like, yeah, there's this authenticity. Uh, what's his name? Peter some Peter something. I forgot what the name is of that kid. Uh, and and but Charlie Bucket and Willy Wonka, like he he's like he doesn't feel like an actor. He's very authentic. And and so and that's a thing. It's like because he's so authentic, like you really care about this kid. Like you want to make sure he's okay. And he does act like normal kids. Like normal kids are pretty quiet. And they observe things that are going around him. And um, I really I, I really like how, uh, you know, like Jack, after you do the, the tour, Jack is like, hey, are you busy uh, bombing the universe? And Danny doesn't have no response. Like, he doesn't know <laughs> how to connect with his dad. He doesn't really know how to connect to his mom, you know. But he connects with, with, with uh, Halloran because they have The Shining. And, like, they actually have that connection. And so I like the fact that Halloran becomes sort of like a surrogate father figure at the point when Jack is sort of descending into madness. Mm-hmm. I'll say, I will say that there's there's one thing that, that actually really bothers me about this movie as well. I, one thing, I think the movie's five minutes too long. I really do. I don't I don't like the fact that um, that Shelley Duvall, that her character starts seeing the ghost too. I think that was too much. I don't what? like I don't like the one with the dog and the the dog giving a blowjob to the guy in the hotel room. That made that that's not needed it doesn't add anything to the film it just but more it, honestly to me it was more comedic than it was effective no 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 that's the whole purpose of it the whole purpose is to it's to be disturbing it's like there are people there that shouldn't be there they're alone in the hotel and the fact that people are appearing in places they shouldn't be that's the scary thing about it well i i understand that but like i don't know i just think like maybe sh- like Danny seeing it, I think, makes sense. I think that her, she should be this one 
where she, throughout the entire movie, shouldn't know what's happening, should not be experiencing anything. She just, all she knows is that her husband's become a complete dick and now he's trying to kill her. And then, like, and, and that's it. No other, like, no other explanations. Like, that, that, that's all she knows. And then also, you know, with Danny <laughs> saying red rum and then in the knife saying murder, like, seeing weird things like that, I, I think. For me, it would be more effective having Shelley Duvall's character not understand any of the supernatural and not know what's happening throughout the entirety of it and just trying I to disagree. save I think I think the thing is, is that what's so good about the ending is that it separates both of them. It separates Danny being chased by Jack and then Wendy's encountering all the ghosts. And so there's like no semblance of like safety at all for these characters. Like you really feel that they are in jeopardy, that Jack at any moment could catch up to Danny and the ghost can get to to Wendy. Like, there's no sense of safety. And I think that's what's so disturbing. It's like, these characters, like, I really feel that they could die, that they are in jeopardy. And I've seen this movie, like, dozens of times, and it still, like, frightens me on a visceral level. And so I'm really, so I think all of that really works so well. Yeah, um, and I think that's I think important, like, like, just the reason you said, Paul, but also because, like, if you think about it, when you're in... When you're in a place where you expect that there's no one else, the scariest thing is the idea that someone else is there. You yeah. know, when you hear that noise, you that's and that's what that is. That's the manifestation of that. And plus, it's um, just it play it plays on like like Paul said really well. There has to be some jeopardy for be, there has to be some kind of threat between Wendy getting to Danny at that point because Halloran is taken out of the picture, which is one of the big changes from the novel as well because he's the hero. He shows up and gets him out. <laughs> so that's literally like if you read this book. Even you are not safe because the guy who comes and saves the day, the guy who was like telegraphed the whole way through as saving the day, which is maybe the one thing you could say is a flaw in the book the, it, that, that, that he used and he just that he goes down. And of course, hilariously, then they play on it on that Simpsons episode where Willie then gets axed in every single episode when he's about to show up to save the day. It's like I'm in every time. <laughs> I love that so much. I love that so much. And here, I I is, hate and, his death. I love Halloran, and it was just so fast. And like, you don't see him die; he just falls. And then the next scene, when Shelley sees him on the floor, like that was it. You're just like, oh, like he, he just is dead. All right, okay, that was, I love that. But I, you got to have the murder somewhere, right? And who else yeah. is in the hotel? You know, so there's got to be, and that's what's because that's what's feeding that energy that all this is able to manifest itself is there is murder there's about to be murder it's about to happen the cycle of violence is about to continue because that's you know that's what i see and i'm sure you guys would agree the film is to me really about like there's all those theories about the deeper meanings but i think on a simple scale it's about cycles of violence and the question is you know can danny break those cycles of violence that his father has set forth and i think that uh for me that really manifests in the, the hedge maze when danny is going one direction and, and, and his dad is looming out there. And the way they shoot that, the way we haven't talked much about the cinematography, but the way Kubrick shoots that in particular, it's one of the most, uh, there's a lot of like early in the film, he uses like the, everything's big and there's small figures oh, yeah, of people, um, so the large against the small. So you feel so tiny. Even when you watch it, you feel small. You feel, you feel little right at the beginning that the, the Montana landscapes, it's like some national park in Montana or Wyoming or something that by the way, connection to Blade Runner, because Kubrick, wouldn't fly to get that footage himself so he shot like hundreds of hours of helicopter footage so that he have enough to then give it to blade runner for that bad happy ending by the way so which is we talked about in the blade runner episode 
But then at the end, when he's in, in the hedge maze, though, Danny, the way he's filming it, like it's this, you, you see Jack coming towards you, coming towards you. And then, and it's like this sharp, sharper focus for him. And then Danny is, you know, you're pursuing, like you feel it, you feel it. And, and just the world is, you, you feel like Danny's about to get taken in and consumed by his father. You really do. Like, and the way he escapes though, it's not like he like ducks him or something. It's it, he, he finds a way to break the cycle by retracing his steps in the snow and hiding. He breaks the cycle. And I, and I, I, that's the way I see the film. And it's, it's, it's a weirdly hopeful film, even though it's totally also not because of the way it ends after that. (laughs) So, but I love that you, there's a couple things you, you bring up that are really great. So the the whole t- the whole movie, um, Kubrick uses wide angle lenses so that it kind of opens up the space of the hotel and it also makes each of our characters in the frame kind of smaller than they normally would be. And so what I love about that is that it frames a hotel as if the hotel is going to swallow them whole. And what I love is that as it's almost like like uh, mathematically or something that he's doing this, but as we get further along in the movie. They get he gets closer and closer to the characters as if the hotel's swallowing them like like gonna get them and it's a subtle thing that he does and a very nuanced thing uh, in terms of cin- uh, cinematography that he does where he just gets closer and closer and closer and another thing that um, what what is really interesting to me that you brought up is is uh, actually Halloran when Halloran gets killed and first of all I like how it removes that illusion of safety that you know like Halloran's gonna come and, and save them. But also, one thing I didn't notice is that every time Jack gets upset or more angry, you hear that heartbeat sound. And I know you know what I'm talking about, like the dun, 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 dun. You hear that, and it ramps up as his aggression and anger ramps up. And so you're kind of, uh, you almost have like a Pavlovian response. Like every time Jack is angry or upset or something, you, you hear that sound. And so as soon as Halloran gets there, it's quiet. It's completely quiet. He walks the halls of the hotel and he's like, Danny, Wendy, you know, calling out for them. And it's completely quiet. All you hear is a snowstorm outside. And then Jack comes in, like, you know, axes him in, in, the, in the chest. At no point do you hear that heartbeat sound that you're expected to hear before Halloran gets murdered. And then it, it comes on again as you see Jack rise up into the frame with his bloody face and with with his axe, and you hear like this, like almost like well, Native American chants playing in the background. Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I just this movie is like, it's so amazing how it's pieced together, and and so it's like this this interesting craftsmanship that I don't necessarily see in a lot of movies nowadays, and it's like something that I is amazing to me. Um. Also, the, this the Steadicam was actually invented uh, for this movie. And one thing that always rings in my mind is Danny's power wheels going over the carpet, then the wooden floor, then the carpet, that sound, the, you know, that sound effect. And he's going around the hotel. It gives you a good sense of, like, the geography of the hotel. But it's also kind of unnerving because he's on the first floor, and then all of a sudden he's on the second floor. And they turns the corner. Oh, there's the Grady twins. Like it's it's very unnerving. Every yeah, aspect. Like literally, like yeah, like uh, you can't get a real sense of like what Kubrick does is establishes the space so well 
but then you can never get a grasp on things because it's the way it's designed that you really never have a sense of where everything is into relation to anything else. It's, 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 it's literally an impossible space. So then it, yeah. And then of course, even that, like, you know, you have that exterior shot of the real, uh, the, not, not, not the real hotel that, you know, the, 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 the actual hotel that they use for the exterior and then they, you know, for the helicopter shot and then they built a set on um, in L street in England and where they filmed the actual, like when they were characters on set for the, the hedge maze and stuff. So, and you can see that there's no hedge maze in that shot. It's like, as the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and I think Kubrick was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. <laughs> that's weird because man, he, he obsessed over the weirdest shit. But I think that's part of it. It's like, it's, it's the hotel. Um, I heard someone describe it like this for uh, night of the living dead before how, you could have a film theory that the head, the 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 house in Night of the Living Dead is our head, and that's our psyche. I think that's what the hotel in the Overlook is. It, mm. It's a maze. It has rooms that go places that they shouldn't, that are bigger than they should be. That so like the Worcester in other ways. Yeah, the Worcester. And you know, you know, going along with that, if you look at the hedge maze, the grooves kind of like look like the grooves of a brain. So there you go. Oh, it totally know, does. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to a bird's eye view, it looks like the grooves of a brain in a way. When I, are, when I like, pop my own head open and look at my brain and just admire a, the beauty of it, I see the same looks just like a hedge maze. <laughs> By the way, um, so I, I was wondering, like, being how this movie is so visual and, and such a striking visual movie, um, is there any image or scene that really pulls you into the movie that really, like, uh, is memorable to you? That For me, the bathroom scene. With uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, well, you know, with the yeah. reincarnation of yeah, I mean, it's it's him and Grady, with him and Grady, it's just oh yeah, like so the, well shot. When they're having the conversation with the journals, the intensity of the scene. Both actors are so good, and I don't know, like it's the colors, um, how clean everything looks, but then how raw and terrible their conversation like and, and as it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and it's just it's so good um i love i honestly love that scene and then i love any scene like i love um when shelly duvall interrupts him at the typewriter i just i uh, the for the first time i love that scene i absolutely love that scene too i mean i think it's terrible <laughs> what he's doing but it is such a good cinematic he's done scene I think one thing, yeah, I would agree. Like Tyler talking about the the scene in the you know the scenes with Lloyd are also very good. Another Blade Runner connection. It's uh the same actor who plays Tyrell, and uh, oh yeah, Lloyd, yeah, <laughs> yeah. His name escapes me. I'm for, yeah, forgive me, yeah. but he's Tyrell. So, yeah, there you go. Um, and so, but the I really thought watching it this time was something I discovered and I noticed for the first time is how those are the first time I see Jack having a real natural conversation where he's before that, it's always very awkward and strange and stiff. Like when he's interviewing and stuff. And even when he interacts with the family in the car, it doesn't, it seems so inhuman, unnatural. But then when he's talking with these ghosts, then that's when it's like, and I'm doing the air quotes for the audio only thing you can't see my air quotes are they ghosts or are they what we don't know <laughs> but point being is that's when he is it's bizarre because that's when he is more human and he is more himself 
and that's what really caught me about those scenes in particular the one where he's with Grady because he's like putting it together what's going on but also like being consumed by what's going on it's a really great scene a great scene of writing and a great scene of acting and it's just also super super scary because of that setting in that bathroom with the image and those urinals that go all the way to the the ground if i ever go into a bathroom that has those urinals in the ground i'm like oh my god i gotta find another bathroom i can't pee here (laughs) first i don't want to pee on my shoes but also The that was what I think of the shining one of the uh, the Leon Vitali guy that I mentioned earlier. One of the other things that he did was when he was going around the United States to cast Danny, he actually was also sort of location scout. So they built sets. Everything was a, was sets that were built. But he would go around and take pictures of all the hotels and everything they visited everywhere to then send it back to Stanley. And he had like tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff that that would then help make what the hotel would look like. So it's not based on any single hotel, but like, you know, every hotel kind of thing. Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, Joe Turkle is still alive today. He oh, is. Wow. He's almost a hundred. That's insane. Sorry. I just, I just, Joe, I, I, Joe, I, I, Joe, he looked almost a hundred when this film. <laughs> that's what I'm <laughs> saying. That's what I was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, Jesus I, Christ. He must be like a Nexus. 10 or something he looks fine he actually hasn't he has it looks like he hasn't aged that much and this was like it's like morgan freeman morgan freeman always looked like he was 50 (laughs) even if you go back yeah to like but yeah i'm just once he turned 30 he like looked 50 and he just stayed 50 like steve martin like steve martin i got white hair like 21 or something maybe he's one of the ghosts in the overlook or something and we don't know about (laughs) it (laughs) um so one thing I wanted to highlight is, uh, have you guys actually seen uh, Room 237? Have you? Yes. Well, no, no, no. But I, I didn't. I mean, I, I knew of it. I didn't know what it was or anything. I just knew it was a documentary. I was gonna, I was going to watch it, but I can't. <laughs> it's not streaming. Okay. Well, what do you think about it, Josiah? It was all right. I mean, I, you can find the same theories on YouTube. There's a lot of that kind of conspiracy-ish stuff. The, the moon landing one... <laughs> There's the oh yeah the the the, 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 the most landing. the most valid one the most valid one which is actually used very like in much and I think intentionally because it's about the cycles of violence is the 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 idea of uh, it, it's in part about the massacre of Native Americans by the white man which makes sense uh, I, there's a lot of the motifs there's a point where Shelley Duvall wears a jacket the whole hotel it's like these appropriated symbols he even mentions uh what's it Halloran not Halloran um. The, what what's the guy that, that he interviews with? I'm forgetting his name. Allman. Allman when yes, Allman in the Allman. interview, he mentions like, oh, they even had to repel some, you know, it's built on an Indian burial ground and they had to repel some attacks when it was built. So it's, I think that's very intentionally there. I don't know that that's meant to be the overall meaning of the film. I think, I think Kubrick's so smart that any film he makes is about many things. <laughs> so true. I think so that, people that's can, part so people of can get So people can get like a different, like a different take each time or something kind of like what Paul yeah, was saying. And I think the first thing he wanted was, was a, a film that would actively scare you and disorient you and make you question the, the content of it and think, wow, how do I feel about things? Could I be part in part? Could I be the aggressor? That's really what I think Kubrick wants you to question. Could I be the Jack? Yeah. You know, we all, want to be, I, we all want to be Danny or maybe even to a degree Wendy protecting like you know as a parent I would think I would do anything to protect my child but could I become victim to that because I have a friend that um uh 
committed suicide a few, few years back. And it's always like, whenever that happened, like that question is like, whoa, how do you get to there? You know, when, when somebody like Anthony Bourdain, someone I, I really respect what he what he did. And I'm like, oh, how, how, what was, what was it that got him to that place? You know, and you, and you, and I think Jack is a reflection of that in the, in the sense of <laughs> crazy ass murder, but what would it take to get to a position to do something terrible? You know, what push would it take for you? That's really what I think Kubrick is, is nudging, at least when I see the film. So not, 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 not to derail. It's just, it, it's weird. I don't know. Why? I think I, I derailed with that answer, actually. So. Oh no, I think it's perfectly valid. Uh, no, if I, I just because we're talking about Kubrick, especially like, like the, um, I actually am more scared of a Clockwork Orange than I am The Shining, which is uh, weird. Why is that? Uh, I think because the Clockwork Orange is where these people are roaming around, doing horrible deeds, doing terrible, terrible, terrible things. Like the whole scene of them going to that woman's house is to me horrifying and the when they're singing they're breaking into a house or doing something really terrible to her um you know and you're, you're you know it's just it's it, when they brew and they yeah that, that i'll say this real quick to interrupt that the first time i saw the movie i got to that scene and i had to stop watching yeah i've seen it since but i had to stop watching oh, wow. the first time i saw it that was so hard for me to watch i yeah i i i feel like maybe like with this one Obviously, this is full-fledged horror, where the other one is more of a thriller, um, whatever the hell genre that is. <laughs> um, but, like, yeah, I, I think it's weird, because I did see um, this movie first uh, as a kid, and I had uh, seen other things. Like, I think this... I remember seeing this with my friend, uh, shout out Casey Baker. We watched this and then Christine, the car, the car horror movie. And the car horror movie scared me a little bit more, and I don't know why. Maybe because <laughs> oh, all the kids Christine. didn't know what they're doing. Yeah. And, um, and so, but, uh, you know, watching it now, it, it, it's weird because I think maybe as an adult and now I've seen most of Stanley Kubrick's movies, um, some of them multiple times, like, yeah, I, I feel like that, that the intensity of this movie is not lacking. It's just maybe doesn't live up to a horror, a horror degree. Like I would say a clockwork orange and maybe even like a couple of other scenes from like, um, what was the what's the Tom Cruise movie with Nicole Kidman? Eyes wide shut. Um, Eyes wide sh- like yeah. you have that one scene in Eyes wide shut where it gets really fucking eerie and weird. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly which like what happens. I just I just remember always feeling like oh that one fucking scene and then I forget what it is. Um, it, it, it's weird. I, I just feel like he he's great and I love this movie, but it's it doesn't affect me all that much though. It's more of an intense ride as it is a horror scary ride it's kind of like it's kind of like like to me it's kind of like seven where seven's not scary whatsoever it's gross but it's but it's more of just like the 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 thrilling intensity of it well i don't know i I think with me what's really scary what i'm I'm actually gonna go uh actually i kind of agree with josiah is that um it's the scary thing is like the corruption of self that we like what who we are as a person slowly erodes and we come become like this monster that hunts after our family and it doesn't take much for us to go like you know they have the 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 ghost kind of messing with his head and then everything that's going on in his family life before he got there where he's like lost his uh, teaching job and he has you know uh problems with sobriety 
like all these problems are just stacked up to where it, it it's like eroding at him as as a decent human being and so as an, that's it, it could be that's... not it could not even be paranormal it could just be all that shit stacked up and he's just going crazy yeah, as yeah. well but i mean the film, and the film wants you to wonder that that's part of what yeah, yeah exactly it, just... no, no, and that's what i'm saying i'm agreeing completely yeah it, it, so that that's a scary thing to me that erosion of self like you're becoming somebody that you, you're not you're, you're like this you know it's like a slippery slope and and that's the thing it's like no matter what he does to try to push back at it he just slowly erodes and i so I, that's why i think th- this movie is so effective uh at, at is because you know it starts off with the mundane and they're just having their normal life and there's little su- supernatural elements kind of like interspersed in there uh, until it like this is a kind of a slow burn and then it ramps up to where Jack just snaps and then he's like a, on a murderous rampage. And so, I mean, I, you know, one part that really I find it, I think this, to me is the scariest scene and everybody points to the Grady twins or the, you know, the elevator full of blood. But the scene that scares me the most is directly after the Grady, after uh, Jack, or I'm sorry, Danny sees the Grady twins and they say, come join us, Danny forever and ever and ever. And then he was closing his eyes. Meanwhile, right after that, Danny goes up to Jack and like Jack is sitting up on his bed and he's kind of like disconnected. He's like kind of not really there. And he grabs like Jack grabs Danny trying to console him. But everything is um, everything that he does and says is very like by the motions, like he's trying to show affection. But his tone is very like robotic, like, hey, Danny. How, how are you doing? And then Danny asks him, hey, uh, you know, Dad, do you like this hotel? And Jack says, I love it. I want to stay here forever and ever and ever. And right then and there made me think, oh, my God, the hotel's getting to Jack. Like, he is slowly eroding. And that scene right there scares the shit out of me. And I didn't even notice that, that little, little I didn't dialogue notice it. Yeah. until recently. And it just really chills me in right now I'm kind of chill just like talking about but what are you gonna say Tyler no I, I was gonna say like I don't think he sounds disconnected I feel I say it, it sounds like he is like not interested but trying to like show that he is like he that he's just kind of like disgusted more than anything that like he doesn't want to talk to Danny but he knows he has to My because, because he's a dad kind of somewhere I think a little bit different, but maybe leaning towards what Paul had. I feel like that's the last moment where we see the potential for good in him, where he's, he's sort of wants to comfort Danny, but he doesn't know how he can't like, he's, 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 you could argue he's too far gone, but he wants to be there for his son and and make it okay. But his vices are getting to him. You know, it's the, the quote drinking kind of parable because because that's one thing too that that one of the things that i know stephen king didn't like about the this version was that he felt that that the jack character in the movie was he just starts out as a killer and, and stays a killer in the book he's much more he is a family man he cares about his family also wendy's a totally different character but that's neither here nor there right now that but jack had you know, he, he's, it's this baggage that gets to him. It's, he tries not to, but it overwhelms him. That's kind of the story. And it's very much a parable for alcoholism. And the movie doesn't go into that as much because it starts with Jack sort of, you know, more 
amped up because even part of what King didn't like was the casting of Jack Nicholson. He didn't like that because he knew when you see him, it's like, oh yeah, that guy's gonna kill his family <laughs> when you cast him. <laughs> that guy's gonna kill everybody. Yeah, Jack's pretty intense. Like, <laughs> so, but, that was like so. Those are like you can say again and, and again. I, I love the film and think it's a it's a it's a brilliant work of art. But I can see why, as a as a as, a, as someone who also loves the novel, can see why those differences would upset the original author of the novel because it's 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 to the point where it becomes like very much a different work. Does he hate it's about different things? Does he hate the movie about like Does he think that the movie is a well made movie, but he doesn't like it as an adaptation? I have a quote about that. So he okay. wrote this is a quote I heard today when I was watching some stuff. He described it as a beautiful car that has no engine. So, and he said in his big difference was for how he felt about it, which I think it's another good way to explain it is King would describe it as literally how they end, right? The book ends in one way and the movie ends in the other way, right? The movie ends with Jack freezing. The hotel freezes. Everything is frozen, covered in snow, covered in snow, which would then be used in Empire Strikes Back, which Empire had to wait to get in those sound stages for The Shining to finish shooting, by the way. So... Yeah, all that. I, and I heard people got on Empire were getting sick from the fake snow used in The Shining. So but anyway, but then the uh, ending of the book, what happens is if you – spoiler for like five things in this one little analogy. In Doctor Sleep, the sequel – I haven't read the book, but in the movie – Oh, there is a, there's a book is, for, Dan, oh, no. for Doctor Sleep? I didn't even know that. There's a book. Yeah, Stephen King wrote the book. So, But the end of the movie of that, which uh, the, the boiler goes up and – Danny blows up the boiler, which is how the original ending to The Shining was. So it'd be interesting for me because I haven't read Dr. Sleep, the book. I wonder how it ends since that ending happened already in The Shining. It couldn't happen in Dr. Sleep. But so basically what Stephen King said is in one you have warmth, literally, and then one you have cold. And that's how he felt it. You have warmth for these characters and then you have cold. That's how King viewed it. And I get it. And I, and I think – they're both effective in t different ways. And it's really a, a, an interesting testament to two very skilled artists in different mediums, like telling this fundamentally beat, at least in certain terms of the basis of the story, the same story in very, very different ways. So I like that. No, yeah, I, that's, that, that is very interesting. And I see his point too. I, I not having to have read the book, but from what you're saying, like, unless you're like Alan Moore, I don't, I, I tend to understand why a original creator of something seeing an adaptation or a remake or something of their work, like in having not the happiest of thoughts. Like, like I said, Alan Moore just hates everything. And I disagree with most of his opinions on things, but I, and, and like with this, I've been meaning to and wanting to visit the shining book as to see why Stephen King hates it so much and loves the TV movie. That's terrible. And I, I've seen, and it, it is so bad. Um, it, it's the TV movie is true to the story. No, absolutely, but, but it's just made the, the, so the, bad, the, poorly. The, the ride that doesn't work is because it's a TV movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Kid. There's like a lot of green light and mist. I just it's not. It doesn't work. Yeah, and, but it, it, when you read the book, those things, those things, those things are scary in the book. It plays yeah. differently because when you see it in your head versus a uh, mid '90s TV movie version, you know it just doesn't. And the, the hedges, because even with the hedges, uh, the hedge. So the, the di big difference is the hedge maze versus the hedge creatures. I, I was reading that there was a point where Stanley Kubrick investigated: could they have done it with animatronics or stop motion? Could they have achieved like hedge creatures? 
So it was at least thought about. And obviously they went in the different direction with the hedge maze because in the in the in the book and in this, the, the the 90s miniseries, there the the hotel is protected by the was it topiaries? What they called yeah, the when they're yeah, cut out of hedges, like in animals. So there's like lions and things that would like subtly move. And then whenever things got crazy at the hotel, then they're like actually aggressive. Like so. Well, the funny thing is, like I've never read the book, um, but I have such an affinity to the movie that I think I would have some kind of bias reading the book. I would just automatically think that it's like lesser than, and really that's not the case at all. But is there any scene in the book that you felt should have been in the movie that would have maybe made the movie stronger, in your opinion? Um, having not read it in a while, I can't remember anything specific. But one of the things that I, I, I loved about the book that isn't in the movie, and I also understand why it's not in the movie, is so there's a part where there's a scrapbook open on the table at Jack's typewriter, right? Uh-huh. In the book, that scrapbook is a big deal. So Jack finds that scrapbook and he's working on his project, right? And that scrapbook kind of leaves him. He wants to write about the history of the hotel. And as he literally reads the history of the hotel, because he mentions it with uh, Grady too in the bathroom. He's like, I read about you in the newspaper clipping. So those are the only two hints of it that at least and, – and part of the thing was when they were making this movie – Kubrick was having uh, Diane Johnson. They were she was on set, and they were constantly rewriting, constantly. So even on set, things were changing. Jack Nicholson uh, wouldn't learn his lines the night before because he would assume the next morning he would get new pages. And there, there's a part. That, it's funny in the documentary in that making of Shining, that. right, where she's ex, where he's yeah. explaining to her that what the page colors mean. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you know in a script <laughs> directly across the table from Stanley Kubrick is his mom Gert. <laughs> he's like talking to his mom Gert and she's like oh it's hilarious by the way you should watch the documentary I recommend it to you Tyler I'm like bringing up tabs like in real time as you guys are telling me these things so anyway but that that was one of the things that in the book and, and I think it's a very writery thing that you you love there's a part of you as a writer that loves research you know and a good writer is a researcher and so Jack as if he was a good writer he would be all about researching but at the same time in the movie it's also more effective that he doesn't get anything done and he's never really working and it's the illusion that he's got this project and he's working on it. he's working on it and he blames wendy for not getting it done he blames danny it's everybody else's fault that he can't get his writing done whereas in the book it's that he becomes obsessed with the the hotel and you can actually tangibly understand why and i think that helps because you one of the things that definitely works in the book is the, the fact that you can have these long monologues Within a character's head, so you understand, and I, and that's what I like. That's one thing I like more about any book than the movie, is is that you kind of get more of the the course of how that character descends into that madness. So you get that, but at the same time, it's it's more effective as a horror film because he's the film's monster, pretty much from the get go. Like, well, I just want to say one one thing uh, that I think the best horror is always one that's like framed. Um, in realistic terms, uh, for instance, like I always think the exorcist is really terrifying because yeah, you know, it still you scares me today. Regan, you know, she, she's having all these, like, she's like peeing and like, she's having all these like weird behavioral problems and her, and her mom thinks that she's having a mental breakdown and she just doesn't know what she, you know, like she doesn't know what's going on with her daughter and her daughter is in like this deep decline, but really, you know, she's like, uh, possessed by a demon, Pazuzu. Yeah. But that yeah. whole time, that sort of desperation that you see a loved one 
kind of fall apart or going to decline. I think that's something that's really like terrifying and very realistic and very uh, really resonates well with people or or like so and and something like this also with with the shining you just see Jack kind of decline and you see you know how frazzled like Wendy is how just like at the end of a rope she is and same with Danny you know and, and so it really is I think the best kind of horror is is framed on realistic terms and so that's why I think this this movie this horror movie is like so effective even to this day and there's so much memorable imagery in it that like I can you know a lot of people reference it for their horror films in some way like they you know they'll they'll have that bird's eye view shot or that helicopter shot of the woods or they'll you know have a carpet like in Toy Story Toy Story the carpet of the shining uh is in Sid's house that's carpet so like people reference the movie so much because it's so iconic and uh one thing which is kind of funny is like after seeing this movie it kind of uh it kind of opened my eyes to the way I saw Onward of all movies and the way I say is this is that when I watched that movie I made a point to look at all the easter eggs and like all my notes were basically easter eggs and so I was basically like not really engaged with the story I was engaged with the references to a better movie and not the movie itself and so like you know, that's a problem. When I was watching The Shining, there's all these notes. I have, like, a, a, a shitload of notes about the framing of the camera, about all these different stuff, just because I, I love The cinematography so in this movie is, I think, one of the best in any film. It's just, it's so, oh, yeah. and it's so effective. Like, everything like you're saying, like, the, like the closer it gets to everybody and, and what, and the focus of every scene, it, it makes it to where you're just being engulfed into this, this, this hotel. It's so, like, I felt it. It's so good. It's so effective. It's it's yeah, and I'll give I'll give some examples here. Um, what I really love is like so whenever something's at a low angle, generally that's the, you're framing the character as a threat or an aggressor, right? If you have a character at a high angle, that's essentially ma- making that character powerless, right? So in the scene where Jack is following, you know, after the typewriter scene, you see all all pl- all Jack and no play or all Jack and Wait, I'll no. work in no play. I'll, I'll, I'll work in no play. Make Jack a dull boy. Uh, you know, he's he, there's this uh, long tracking shot with. I never realized that he never said the line. He never said the line. Yeah, I always thought for some reason in my head it was kind of like the hello Clarice, like how Hannibal never says that in any of the Hannibal movies. It's... Yeah, he never says it, but it's just on the typewriter. Which, by the way, Stanley Kubrick typed himself. But basically, they, they were, uh, you know, Jack is they're doing the tracking shot. Jack is following Wendy. Wendy is like visibly upset. She has the bat. And when they go up the stairs, from Wendy's point of view, it's at a high angle, showing Jack as she's the high ground. Sorry, but really, <laughs> he's the aggressor. He is a danger. So it's like framing. It's juxtaposing. Juxtaposing. A frame. <laughs> what? Juxtaposing. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm, I don't know. But you know, it's like what are those things called at uh, at uh, at BJ's Pazookies or something like that? Just yeah, that's what I was thinking. Just yeah, so. <laughs> It's a you're taking you your birthday. Sorry, go I ahead, Paul. Visually, visually, you're showing something that's uh, juxtaposing. I finally got it. Juxtaposing what's actually happening in the scene. So you know, and then also, there's a lot of times where so there's a thing called the 180 degree rule where if you frame a certain subject, like they'll always stay in, in a certain point in the frame based on where the camera is, based on the position of the camera. And there are so many times where, you know, like when Jack 
uh, when Wendy serves breakfast to Jack, they switch it a lot. They break that 180 degree rule. Kubrick's broken that rule in other films though too. Oh right, so, and it's yeah, but yeah, it's, it's going funny. way back. Wait, I don't. I'm, I'm confused. Thing Wait. that's very disturbing that they do, and it's very like, like this whole movie's so nuanced in a way that is not normally done nowadays, and so it just really impresses me. Um, Basically, real quick, Tyler, what that role means for those of you who don't know, like it, it's essentially you think about when you see a, a a frame like on a television screen, right? You have a character on the right of the screen, a character on the left of the screen. When you cut to the close-ups the left character would occupy closer, but the left portion of your screen and the same over here with the right portion of your screen. So if you were to flip it around that and then the right person is on the left, it would disorient you, right? That's the idea behind it. And Kubrick intentionally is doing that. I did not realize that. And now I really want to rewatch this movie. And he did it in like, um, was it the killers or the killing? One of his earlier films in the fifties specifically. The, the, uh, yeah, the killing, and there's this fight scene in there where he was doing that, and the part of it is to like show the like sort of the chaos of the fight. And again, it's one of those oh, things God, where really, I I actually like that movie. I know a lot of people do not like that movie. Yeah, but anyway, like the point being is that's you know uh, just breaking those basic rules of cinema of how the audience would you know this is how you understand this character is here, this character is there, and how they're communicating so that when you all of a sudden that character on that should be on the right is on the left, you know, yeah. where am I? And that's what the entire film does. The hotel, it does it. Everything does it, especially because it's such a, uh, the cinematography and the set design, everything's so symmetrical and balanced yeah. that when that balance is broken, especially in this film, because it makes everything seem so balanced, so balanced that when it's broken, it's jarring. And then especially when it's subtle and little things, like there were, there would be continuity errors that were intentional where, you know, Jack is in one shot, there's a chair behind him and then it's not, or the chair is moved and it's back and forth and things you might not notice because it's this subtle, um, like I wrote in my notes, it's th- fear through disorientation. That's part of what this yeah. film succeeds. And it's that kind of thing. Again, when you're in the house by yourself and you're like, I swear that chair was six inches closer to me earlier and it's now it's not. And it, and it moved. No, that's impossible. That kind of logic, and that's what Kubrick was putting into the film in all these subtle little ways to throw you off. What's the thing that I love about this movie is like every time you see it, you, you get something new out of it. And what's great about this movie is that everybody has their own theory about what happens, like what you know, uh, what happened in the background. But when you do that, when you interpret it in a certain way, you kind of claim ownership of that movie. You know, it's 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 like kind of the fabric of, of who you are and the way you think. And so that's what I love about this movie is like everybody kind of has their interpretation and their ownership of this movie. And that's why I think it's permeated through pop culture for so long because it's just, it's so memorable and it just, you know, it's just a part of the fabric of, of pop culture. It's just, it's, and uh, a lot of that is attributed to Jack Nicholson, a lot of Stanley Kubrick um, and, and Scatman Crothers, um, who was who was jazz in Transformers, and uh, so so having said that, I um, you know, I've been watching this movie. I I kind of I'm really, I feel like when Stanley Cooper passed away, we really kind of lost a true artist, you know, in, in cinema, and it it's uh you know somebody that was very versatile, like he did, you know, 2001, which is sci-fi, like he did many different uh, genres that no other director really does that nowadays, where they go to different genres and movies. 
like uh, you know, Dark Strange. Spielberg is Spielberg is now finally starting to do that. I I was gonna say Spielberg is like the one who does, and oddly enough, he's also one who finished one of Stanley Kubrick's incomplete projects with AI. And watching that movie is it's the most interesting mess of a movie because it's like, how do you reconcile? Steven Spielberg, the most sentimental filmmaker ever, with Stanley Kubrick, the least sentimental filmmaker ever. And that's the film you have in AI. Yeah, it's like it's it, in like you? like like you have you have Steven Spielberg who's done so many, yeah, like like big movie sci-fi, fan, not fantasy, fancy, but like you know, like Jurassic Park and um, I mean and adventure films as well. And then he does things like Catch Me If You Can and the, the terminal and then now the upcoming in the heights or uh i'm sorry he didn't do it in the heights sorry west side story it's it's fascinating that he's like touching upon all these different things kind of like what you were saying with like stanley kubrick well stanley kubrick i think he's always done intense films all of his movies are full of intensity to him like 2001 space odyssey is about you know it's basically like everybody loses is like every single one of his movies are about somebody who loses control or like basically they get their head into something that and uh without either being able to have any control as to what the outcome is going to be in all of his movies spartacus you know uh a, a man in, in, who apparently who like basically gets kind of over his head and ignites his whole thing where everybody starts believing in him again doesn't want a space odyssey going up against a computer um and you know, uh, I'm trying to think of just, I mean, all of uh, Full Metal Jacket uh, is all these movies are about these characters that kind of lose control of a certain I think, situation. I think a lot of it's about, too, it's about um, a lot of his films. When, when I'm hearing you kind of talk about it, is what I'm hearing is that not necessarily you saying, but what I'm, I'm seeing in his films is it's a loss of humanity. It's about like especially like, you know, Full Metal Jacket. It's how. It just dehumanizes them, and obviously, The Shining. It's how he becomes a monster, and the, and then in um, Clockwork Orange, same thing, and how how he becomes less of a human when they sort of sedate him and break him. He's not a he's not a human anymore. He's not a person. Sure, he's not committing these horrible acts, but he's not really alive. And on and on and on. That's kind of what I'm seeing. Just hearing you talk about it, which I really hadn't thought about the connection, the thread, which is interesting because like a lot of the time his his films have this sort of cold sterileness to them, like 2001 and The Shining in particular. Yes, absolutely. But they're, I mean, I would, they're really I, fundamentally I, I, about people. Honestly, I would even say the same thing about Dr. Strangelove. There's this, like, this coldness to it that is that is not fixed, but it, that, you know, with the performances is what makes it not so much but like in a filmmaking and storytelling uh sense dr strangelove the entire movie kind of feels like it's just taking itself so seriously where everything else is just so ridiculous but it's just where it kind of completes and drives the scenes to keep going like you know the big argument is like there's no fighting in the war room like it's just so like like the stupid (laughs) little things like that and uh, yeah I, i i would yeah there is this thing that he does a lot where it's just either scenes or the entirety of movies where things are just cold and you think you understand what's happening with these characters. And then it just kind of keeps going to a point where, like I said, those characters lose control uh, over as to what they were originally going for. I love this movie. I love to talk about it, but oh, I, I mean, love this movie too. I could talk about it for hours to be honest, but I have to go to one of those urinals that go all the way to the ground and pee. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> just make sure that nobody bumps into you and, and gets, uh, and gets a drink on you. I feel that with, as, when Kubrick passed away, you know, it's a great loss to, to cinema. 
And is there a particular director that you feel kind of the, the baton was passed to them or like that, that kind of takes over that or picks up from that legacy? Um, besides M. Night Shyamalan. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Who directed the scary movie movie? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I'm glad I don't know the name to that one. The Wayans brother, isn't it the oldest one? I think it's Damon Wayans. No, 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 mm-hmm. the older one. No, uh, Marquis Ivory Wayans. No, oh man, I believe it's Keenan Ivory Ivory Wayans. Yeah, I mean, um, directors. So I don't, I don't think that there's that there's just one. There's three people that come to my head immediately: um, Alfonso Cuarón, Ryan Johnson, and Duncan Jones. Like I know Duncan Jones in Warcraft, I'll forgive him for that one. But I would say those three as two people who can do different things, tell different stories, um, and I, I I love Ryan Johnson's filmography. Like I know you guys know, uh, I've I've said Last Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. Um, I think Looper was so good. I went into that movie thinking it was going to be the worst movie in the world, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, it was so much better than I anticipated it to be. Um, knives out. I literally stood up in my in my chair and knocked it over from from excitement at the ending of it. Um, of of the reveal scene, it just fucked me up. And and brick as well. I think Ryan Johnson is so good. And when there's no studio involvement, like Loop, Looper had some issues with studio involvement in it because obviously it's a weird movie. And he was working with Bruce Willis, and that's always a tough that's always a tough hill to to climb when you're working with that actor from lots of different directors and actors have said throughout the years. So uh, a little bit of trivia, I guess, on Bruce Willis. He's a dick. Um, but also, I think uh, Duncan Jones. Uh, I love Moon. Like, I love that film so much. I think Source Code did not get the love that it deserved. Um, I didn't get to see Mute, so I don't know about that one. But I, I love Moon so much. And Moon's I, a good Yeah. And then Alfonso Cuaron, I mean, what has he... What what has he... He made the best... And the only, in my opinion, the only good Harry Potter film, uh, Gravity, Roma, Children of Men, which I love so much. Itumama Tambien is good. Like, ah, that man's so good. Even so. even his Great Expectations is really good. I think it's a highly underrated movie, Great Expectations. Quran, Alfonso Quran's Great Expectations, his first English language film. Yeah, so Tyler, I mean. Ethan Hawke, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, worth a watch. So, you know, I like your answer, but you're wrong. Um, I just want to point that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Damn. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. I think those are great. I think answers. on that list, Alfonso Cuaron is, is certainly the closest Alfonso from, from those guys. No, I think, I'm just you, I think you, you just – to choice. start with, you have to look at the filmography. And I think the other guys – But I think I the other issue – I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree, but I don't think either of them have the filmography yet to even be in that conversation. You know what I mean? Like, and we're talking about a man who had an entire life and a body of work, so it's but, hard to compare. But my so I, my, I my, count, my counterpoint to that, though, because I would have said Christopher Nolan, but I don't think Christopher Nolan's that great anyway. But like, the thing is, is that politics and films are so different than when Stanley Kubrick was around. Like, by the time that Stanley they, Kubrick, they really weren't though. I don't think. I think just Kubrick had so much power after Spartacus. Spartacus was a studio interference film, and then after that. He would only do films where he had the control. That was his thing, you know. So, though it's it I, maybe it's harder to get like what you're kind of. I think what you're kind of getting at. Forgive me if I'm incorrect. Is that those guys? It's harder to get that today, no matter who you are. <laughs> so yeah, even after like 
so many movies that you do well. I mean, like, again, I'm not the biggest fan of J.J. Abrams, but there is still studio involvement in almost all of his films, even though he, I know he owns his own company, but other distributors still tell him what to do, and he's talked about it. Like, look at into Star Trek Into Darkness. He's already established himself, and he had so much studio studio interference in that film. I mean, I think that movie probably would have been bad anyway, but... I think I think all your choices, those are fine choices. I just wanted to, I just wanted to fuck with you, but <laughs> no, I know. I really like your 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 choices. Um, but one thing, one person in particular, I feel is most like Kubrick in terms of visual style and in terms of attention to detail is Denny Villeneuve. I feel like he is the successor to Kubrick in many ways, and especially with Blade Runner twenty forty nine, The Arrival. He he is a great director, and I think he's one to watch. Like he, in my mind, is the closest to Kubrick. Uh, nowadays and especially with like studios interfering in the project i'm surprised that he's able to accomplish the movies he has accomplished like blade run 249 is like an amazing blade runner sequel that yeah but if, if dune sucks you're totally wrong paul oh yeah dune sucks <laughs> dune I'm, sucks you're totally wrong i have every single movie i do not Chicago, i don't think that every single movie i've suck. seen i'm not really connected to the the the, the material but i get drawn in and it, it, it like it it really it wins me over. Like Sicario, I saw it on a plane, and I was like, "This is a good movie." And then slowly, I was like, "Holy shit! I need to buy this movie on Blu-ray. Like this, I need to watch it again." There's that that sort of urge to rewatch it with his movie. So I feel Denny Villeneuve. I was actually the same way with Birdman, where like I really liked it the first time I watched it because I had done acting on stage and been in that world and met people like Edward Norton. But there was the move. There was a scene with Zach. Galifianakis that not triggered me but like I remembered it afterwards and I was just like I don't think I remember this the scene right or did I and I, or like I saw something differently because that movie is full of like little like foreshadowing and stuff like that and like other weird things in that movie as it keeps going in the quote-unquote one shot um that that that, that sticks to you and you're just like I, I, okay I have to watch this movie and I watched it again and it's so it, to me Birdman hit me so much harder the second time. And I think Cicero will be the same way. I just have yet to go back to it. So I think Alejandro Iñárritu would be one to add to that list of potential filmmakers because when you think about his body of work, because that's what you kind of have to look at. He like, did the bear movie with Tom Hardy where they fell in love, right? Wait, Tom oh, the Revenant? Are you talking about the Revenant? Tom Hardy? Was that part of The Shining? Where the bear? Where they fell in love? No. Was wait, love, right? It, the was bear? that the director of, of The Revenant? Was Alejandro? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was. I'm trying to make a joke that connects it back to The Shining with the scary bear suit guy and the. Wait, did I say Tom oh, Hardy yeah. or Leonardo DiCaprio? I meant Leo. Pointing out, by the way, The Shining is one of only two movies, including Ghostbusters, that has like a ghostly blowjob. So I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Way to class it up, Paul. Yeah, no, I had to that out. That joke didn't land. I saw, I saw, like Josiah physically cringe. Like he's like, ooh. Wait, but, okay, so, but no, anyway. actually, did I say Leonardo DiCaprio or Tom Hardy? You said Tom Hardy. He's, he's in that. Damn it. You love. Yeah, he is. He's the bad guy. He, he's the, Tom Hardy's in The Revenant. He's the bad guy. Oh, Tom Hardy's a bad guy. Yeah, he's the Leo's one. The good... Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio's the good one. Tom Hardy's the one who left him. Yeah, yeah, yeah I he... thought you were saying that Tom Hardy wasn't in the movie. That's all. So, as we're wrapping up, uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on The Shining? Um, I... I feel really bad for Shelley Duvall. Um, I feel so bad for her. So it's kind of like one of those things. I'm like, do I feel guilty watching this film? Um, I like this film a lot. I do think that maybe the movie should be five minutes shorter. 
Um, like, I understand what you're saying about the ghost. I think it just got to a point for a little bit where I was just kidding. Like, I think it just it's aged differently. And I think now we live in a world where pacing is pacing has also changed a lot. And um, but I don't it's know. Real quick. The European cut of this movie is like 20 minutes shorter than wow. the cut we watch for this. So there's a version that is 20 minutes shorter. I did not know that. 20 that's minutes crazy. shorter, yeah. That's a, okay. That, <laughs> wow. that, that's 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 too short. I I really do I really do think it, it it's just some like maybe Danny, you know, Danny tricycling around for you know a or, little bit. Or Shelley Duvall pushing a cart for food. You yeah, know, those things probably got trimmed. Maybe even maybe even the first radio scene like wasn't exactly that needed because. I mean, I, but I, I, no here nor there. Like, I love this film. I I am very glad we got to watch it. I think this is a fantastic pick, Paul. Great pick for our first uh, Halloween month. So, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I I love I love this film, and it 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 definitely trailblazed this and Exorcist. I think are just the two most uh, influential horror films, and. Uh, in this genre, not like, you know, Dawn of the Dead and like slasher movies, but I think like in this evil, unseen, overlooming evil. I think what really works so well is that it doesn't show too much. It shows very little and our minds complete the rest. You know, like that's what I think that's what's so effective is that, you know, it it, it allows us to come to our own conclusions about the images that are on the screen. Like it doesn't explain anything about you know, that, that, uh, that, you know, the ghost bear and that old elderly guy, you know, like it doesn't explain anything about that. It just happens and doesn't explain it. And so our mind is like, wait, what? And like, so it, it's trying to understand what's going on in that movie. At the same time, the kids are trying, or not the kids. I don't know. Why I said that at the same time, like Danny and Wendy are trying to understand what's going on themselves. So I, I think it's so powerful that way. I, I actually, can I ask a question before we end? I'm so sorry. And like, we didn't talk about the photograph ending because that's a very polarized ending. A lot of people either love the photograph. A lot of people fucking hate it. I'm on the camp where I hate it. I actually think it, it, I think it is. I think it should have ended with just a scene of like, like I would have loved it if it was just um, the outside of the hotel or snowing and then just fading out into darkness like so like, like what where is the night hits. of that photo well what i got from it it was just the reincarnating thing it was just it basically it it with the grady's and the torrances they just reincarnate every single you know every you know they basically just switches and they're and they're both stuck mm-hmm. that, yeah i think i think yeah with tyler i think what it really means whether it's actual reincarnation what have you it's cycles of violence it's cycles of violence yeah it's cycles of violence but we already got and that from the bathroom scene that's why i was the photograph ending is not needed i think it's just or kubrick like it's his double middle fingers at the end to be like now i'm gonna screw with you and make you really think about this thing (laughs) i mean it's like drop the mic moment it's like you're gonna talk about this forever i'm never gonna explain it you're my shelly duvall no i'm kidding Um... (laughs) yeah everyone is shelly duvall that watches this movie you feel what she feels so i I like i like uh the, the the cycles of violence metaphor that or that analogy because if you think about it the hotel is like a hotel always exists. Like all those ghosts exist in the same t- like time period. It just loops and loops and loops. And so anybody that goes to a hotel is like swallowed whole by the hotel. And it's just like, it's basically just showing that Jack has been swallowed by the hotel. He's become part, 
part of that hotel and part of that uh, cycle of violence. Like he is a victim to it. Like he propagates it and also became a victim of it. But we got so that it, from the like bathroom scene. The hotel. That's why I What's hate that? it. We got all that from the bathroom scene. Him talking to Grady establishes all of that. That's why I, I think that the photograph, if anything, it, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I think it, to me, it makes it be like if at the end of Inception, if that thing either fell or stayed up, you know, like, you know, forever. Like, I think it's the same thing where it, it I think for him, he just answered a question that would have been a lot more fun to interpret in your own mind. Like I mean, not saying the Inception's like, ending is good because I don't like Inception all that much. But like, so if we if we if we like rewind back, then could you would you make the argument that they should have ended where Jack is frozen? No, is I that... I like the just like it. it I I like it ended ending with uh, Shelley Duvall drives like it just shows him driving off. Or not even that. No, it's just I, maybe it's just he's frozen and then it it just has a a very quiet, maybe just the sound of wind of the Overlook Hotel and then just fading to black like at night. Well, what do you feel about the ending? Do you feel it's a good ending? Like, I kind of I kind of characterized it as like uh, Kubrick's like double middle fingers like joke, but I think that's part of the intention. I think it, I think it speaks to the cycle of violence, but I think it's also there to make you sort of be like, wait, what? And then to think about it and then go back and look at it again. I think that's really what it it is meant to do is to engage you in what you just watched in a different way and to, at the very least, give you one one more moment of feeling disoriented by what you just watched. And I think that that's sort of Cooper tweaking you with the horror. I think there might be greater meaning to it, but I think the simple effect is that. And I think that's what he wants because he wants you to – because if if it doesn't end with that, it essentially ends with this – resolved happy ending where they escape jack is frozen to death the good guys got out the bad guy is dead but here it's like oh this wait this has happened already this is going to happen again and again and again i think that's what he's going for i I don't like like it i don't like it experientially this and i'll kind of get back to the the, sort of the my final thoughts on the film right here experientially i do not enjoy this movie i'm not like watching this movie i watch during the day because i don't like to watch this movie at night and i'm not one that gets scared by horror movies but i wanted it which is tricky because i have kids so watching the shining during the day is really tricky when well i had to make sure i had to make sure penny wasn't like walking in the room to see you know danny having one of his like seizure flash moments of an elevator full of blood but I don't enjoy it, but I appreciate it as art, and I watch it over and over and over again because there's so much to dig into. And as Paul said, every time you see it, you experience something else. Like I watching it today, especially watching it for the first time where I'm actively like engaged and take notes on it. I've never done that before. I'm seeing things that I've never seen before, and that's what this film is, and that's why this film has power. And it's it it unnerves me. It, it, makes me feel uneasy and especially this is the first time i've watched I've, I've, I've probably said this every episode this is the first time i've watched this movie since i've become a parent but really watching this movie with kids man it's a different experience for me and i haven't really gotten into that but like you know there's even an extra Blade, level of fear right there where you're just yeah, like, no totally i'm like oh my i would like you know I, I couldn't harm penny or prim like that my girls but could i you know that kind of feeling or, or, but not even that, not, not even that I am the threat to them. 
the fear that they would ever experience any kind of threat, even remotely like that, that, that my, that Judy or my girls would have to run in terror. That's what gets me, man. That's what gets me like that, that we, that, and, and, and I think that I relate to Jack in the sense that sure he is the aggressor, but the way I can relate to him is if my family is in a bad situation, because like I went there, I got a job somewhere, I took them there, I put them in that bad, bad situation. Even if I'm not the one threatening them with an axe, if they're in danger, if they're not doing well, if they're just having trouble with a new, whatever it is, I'm the one who put them there. I It's my failing as a, as a father and a husband. And that's how I relate to this movie newly. And that's what is powerful about this film that I would argue that I don't really like, even though I respect it and admire it as, as a masterpiece. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. And I have and my relationship with the book is totally different because of those other reasons. And I think they're both masterpieces of their genres and their sort of forms. But I love the book. I actually do. And I don't want to say I hate the movie, but you under I think I've explained sort of how I relate to the movie. It's an unpleasant film. So that's kind of it for me. That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm gonna go hug my children right now. My dog. All that stuff. Yeah, like Stephen King, he had this fear when he became a father that he could hurt his kids, that he thought, you know, like it, it's, it, this whole story stemmed from that fear of thinking that, it wonder if he's capable of hurting his kids and um, if he would, if that would ever happen. Was this like the coked he, out years he, of Stephen King? Oh, yeah, he was totally. Okay. This was, well, this was, this was kind of before. I, I don't know if he was coked. This is earlier on when he was really a heavy drinker, though. Alcohol. Yeah. I don't know if coke, I think, came kind of later when the, the, once he kind of had his success. But he was an, he was a full-blown alcoholic when he was writing yeah. this. And, and so he, didn't, like, he, he even said in retrospect that he didn't realize that he was kind of writing to himself in a way. Like he didn't yeah. – you know, that alcohol is, is, the, is the demon really in his book. And he didn't realize it until years later when he got sober. And he actually uh, wrote Doctor Sleep when he was sober, so it's kind of a you know the, the other side of the of, of the wheel. So anyway, um, for my final thoughts, I just wanna I wanna recommend Doctor Sleep. It's a movie few people have seen, but it's an amazing movie. A great follow up to The Shining, uh, directed by Mike Flanagan. A fantastic film. Um, I saw it with Tim, a friend of the show, loved it so much, but unfortunately it, it bombed in the box office. Uh, so if you guys, I, I rec- highly recommend watching Dr. Sleep. Um, and as far as, yeah, as far as the shining, I, I love this movie so much and I think I always will. And I, I just always get something new out of it. And, uh, yeah, I just want to thank you all for joining us on this episode of the shining. I'm really excited about Halloween. And so I just want to close out there. And so thank you guys for joining us. Oh, Josiah, tell us how where, where can we find your stuff? You can find me at Josiah is right, W-R-I-T-E, uh, on YouTube and Instagram, mainly on YouTube. I am getting back in the group of fun YouTube videos about things like this and stuff like that. And uh, one other thing I want to mention, this is the first uh, episode we've done since uh, S.L. Stiebel, who S-T-E-B-E-L-S-L, the initials. Uh, he passed away. He was my writing teacher teacher and mentor. He was 97, 98 years old, so he was wow. an older guy. Great life. But he passed away a few weeks back. Uh, very sad. I hadn't, didn't get to see him in the last few years of his life. I was actually going to arrange to try to go see him 
uh, with my daughter and he, you know, he's not in great, he wasn't, obviously he wasn't in great health. And, um, his wife though, um, showed a picture of me and he did remember me, which meant a lot to me that I know that close to the end, he remembered who I was, but go out, find his work. He's an, uh, sort of unheralded writer. Every ounce of talent or not talent of, of skill that I have, uh, came from him and him teaching me and I appreciate it. And I go specifically read the book, Spring Thaw because that is his most sort of fantastical and supernatural that would most connect to the shining, but go find his work. S L S S L the initials Stiebel S T E B E L. Thank you so much. And uh, Paul, where can they find you? Oh, just Instagram arcade black fire and in my apartment burning up. <laughs> yeah. It's so hot, uh, but that, that's about it. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. And you can check out all of our shows and offerings on the grandgeekgathering.com. You can go ahead and subscribe because all of our podcasts are found on all podcast apps. And uh, if you go to our website, we have not only this podcast, but seven other podcasts. We also have articles and so much more. Go to our YouTube where you can see this show on there. And, uh, you know, after this quarantine, we might have some live action uh, shows and recordings of this show. And it's going to be a lot interesting. And we're going to be doing a little bit more with it. So, yeah, uh, definitely subscribe to us on, on YouTube because things are coming, especially with the pop, with us, Pop Moses film. Guys, trio, and um, our music has been provided. Oh, t-shirt giveaway! My t-shirt giveaway. Oh, that's right. So, speaking of of YouTube, is a perfect segue. I totally forgot about our t-shirt giveaway. So, this is this is a me thing. What, what you do is it's the gimmick to get some subscribers for us, right? Subscribe to us on YouTube. We need you. We need your support. So, subscribe to us on YouTube specifically. Uh, obviously, follow us wherever you are. Subscribe on YouTube. Comment on this video or any of our podcast episodes, Popmosis specifically, and then go over to Josiah is right on YouTube, which I've already mentioned and subscribe there and mention Popmosis and make sure your subscribers are public so that we can see it. And you will automatically be entered to win an awesome Popmosis t-shirt and, or Grand Geek gathering t-shirt and, or Josiah is right t-shirt. So we will have at least three winners because we're going to give away three t-shirts on my dime, I'm sending you that T-shirt from Josiah, from the Popmosis team, from the Grand Geek Gathering. We are sending you three shirts. Well, we're not sending one person three shirts. We're sending three people three shirts and maybe more. We're going to see how this goes. But we want you guys to help us grow specifically on YouTube. We'd really appreciate it. We do appreciate everyone who listens to wherever you listen. But please specifically make your way over to YouTube and hit those subscribe buttons and like away and comment away to let us know that you're there and you could win a T-shirt. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll send it to T-shirt Cannon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter for more updates and so much more. Have a great week. Wear a mask and GGG. Grand Geek Gathering